Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 32 of All the Gin Joints. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And tonight we are talking about the sixth episode of the fourth season of Lost Girl called Of All the Gin Joints. And so this evening we have for you a drink special. I'm glad, by the way, that my, even though I didn't have a drink special last week, my quiche recipe seemed to go over well. (laughs) We actually got some tweets from people who were like, I made your quiches and my girlfriend wore her sexy black dress and it was a nice evening. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad those who tried the quiche, if they turned out well, I thought it was a pretty good recipe. So thank you. But this week we have an actual drink special. It's called Kiss in the Dark, which it's kind of a takeoff of a gin martini. So it has gin, cherry, brandy, and vermouth. And I chose it because both Dyson and Lauren were having some kisses with the dark in this episode. Oh, I get it. Sorry. Let's <laughs> <laughs> try to figure out the drink special. I'm all, I get it. I'm known for not getting any of the jokes, the bad ones, the good ones, the really good ones. So Kiss in the Dark. Kiss in the dark. <laughs> okay, yeah, I get it now. Okay, okay. Glad to have you on board, Annie. Kate, who is Image Feeder on Twitter, she sent in a message about last week's episode. I'd like to talk about the Let the Dark Times Roll. I really loved this episode. I thought it was really well written and constructed. And I loved uh, that you also picked up on that same uh, uh, thematic connection uh, about freedom and captivity uh, between the plot and the subplots. And um, I think in, it really struck me at an emotional level because in, I've been reading about these people in, in, uh, in the world who've had to make this decision uh, about l- leaving everybody they love in order to be free. And that could happen in a country. It could happen in a religion where you get cut off if you leave. Uh, but it's a really difficult, painful decision. And it is very similar to having to cut off your own hand. And I also uh, love the fact that they dealt with that issue with Lauren, because at this point, she cannot have an equal relationship with Bo until this gets resolved. Um, And it looks to me like they're going to continue to deal with this captivity issue. And so uh, it's a very dark thing. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how this all develops. And as we see this week, we are having a continuation of that theme with this main story with Ianka. And so I'm thinking probably we will, this is not the last we will see of it this this season. I'm guessing it's going to be a pretty big theme going forward, given Bo's situation. Uh, let's start, first of all, with our sort of initial thoughts about the episode. What did you think about it, Chris? I once again really enjoyed it. Full, full disclosure, I actually watched the last three episodes. I watched 404, 405, and 406 today. (laughs) So I apologize if I get events in the wrong episode. But yeah, I I really enjoyed it. And I I was telling Stephanie before, I really, I think I enjoyed the Morrigan more in this episode than I really ever have before. Sort of interesting to see her having a normal conversation with somebody. It was very strange and casual Evany. It was strange and wonderful. So what did you think about it, Annie? I thought it was a pretty good episode. Um, I think, first and foremost, uh, Emily Andrus wasn't kidding. Uh, I think when she hinted that she was going to pair together a lot of uh, people that hadn't worked together on the show before. And last week we had Ksenia and um, Rachel and Rob Archer working together in that wonderful dance-off to the death. And this week we get Zoe Palmer and Emmanuel working together as the Morgan and Lauren, and it was just, there's so much there. There's so much under every line, and how much they could or don't trust each other, but respect each other. And then Bo, I really see just taking this tormented, mysterious turn, because she's so tormented to finding out that she's dark. But And as you said, the uh, overall theme of freedom versus repression versus what does it really mean to be free that's really going on so many of the characters not just the um, lead guest character this this uh, episode 
So yeah, I too thought it was a pretty good episode. I didn't think it was as strong as episode four or episode five, but still a very good episode. I thought the A plot was kind of wobbly. It didn't quite work for me, but I really think the subplot we had with Lauren in the Morrigan really carried the episode. It was it was some good, interesting stuff there. And so let's, I guess, start by sort of talking about the A-plot, the story with Iyanka, which, like I mentioned, didn't really work for me. It, there were a little kind of plot holes I didn't quite understand, why Iyanka didn't just run directly to Marcus, why did she run to Bo first, except for, you know, of course, she had to evoke Bo's memories, so we needed her to do that. But beyond that, you know, I thought it was interesting, though, we had but with the with Bamber and then Marcus, these two families it kind of replica replicated the light versus dark dynamic. And so you have Iyanka kind of in the middle of the two, not wanting to belong to either. And so you kind of are thinking, well, maybe Iyanka is supposed to represent Bo. But I actually kind of had the thought that maybe Iyanka is supposed to maybe represent Lauren. Because Iyanka says right before she dies, Someone would have always tried to own me. It is the fate of my people. Most do not mind, but I do. I was the only one who could stop it. And we kind of see maybe inklings of that's maybe where Lauren is going with this, with this little subplot we see with her in the Morrigan, is that maybe Lauren's going to try to take down the system. Maybe Bo isn't really able to right now, and Lauren is saying, you know what? I can't rely on somebody else to free me. I have to do it myself. Because I think we have also, toward the end of the episode, where Bo is talking to Dyson. Dyson's trying to be encouraging and say, you inspired Ianka to leave. And Bo's saying, no, 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 I'm not really, that's not really me. I see myself kind of going down this other path that Marcus went down where I just become embittered and I want revenge. So I thought that was kind of, that was probably the most interesting part of the Ianka plot for me. Right. And and you notice that they color-coded Bo's, I mean, Bo's outfit basically sort of looked like Marcus's with the black with the sort of crinkly silver accents mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. All, all I kept noticing was Marcus's, you know, pseudo, um, what do you call it? Steampunk. Yeah, the steampunk goggles he was wearing. And I'm like, and he had think? a ray gun too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, what's with the steampunk? But I'm like, why would he need goggles when Ayanka has her powers through, you know, singing. And I'm like, you'd think he'd need some steampunk uh, earplugs or something. But anyway, random tangent. That would have been handy. So, but actually, yeah. the production designer really does seem to like steampunk. This is not the first time we've seen steampunk elements in design, particularly in regards to Trick and his layer and devices that he uses. There's been a lot of steampunk design this season and in previous seasons, like the machine in Phage Against the Machine. Yeah. Very mm -hmm. steampunky. Um, yeah, so I thought the plot with Ianka was, it was good. I thought the, I, I think part of the script centered a little bit too much on her. I mean, we, it, it was, although it was interesting because at first we see that, you know, sh she's captured by Marcus, you know, well, first she's at the mercy of, I believe it's Damber at the beginning, and then she's captured by Marcus, but then we find out it's really a ploy. And then her love for Marcus is revealed when Bo realizes it. But then Ayanka kills him in the end. And it really shows how she valued her freedom above all, more than her love for him. But I thought that was a little weird to kind of have her go, well, I love him, I love him. And then, you know, he gets mad at her and calls her a bitch. And then she's like, well, I'm just going to kill you because I want my freedom. Well, he valued his his war, war goals over yeah. hers. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, what put her, what pushed her over the edge was, was that he was using her the same way that everybody else had used her. He wasn't appreciating her for her. He wanted to use her as a weapon. Well, it made me wonder if she really loved him then, or if she just wanted to do anything to get her freedom. Or she just took whatever she could, love she could in her life, because it was so lacking, being a pawn in everybody's life. So, I don't know. Could have been a combination of the two. See, I think it would be the other way, that I, I'm more concerned about whether he actually loved, loved her. her. Yeah. Because she did seem to love him, but then, you know, betrayal and no way, so... Yeah, yeah. But then it also brings in the question of how Hale re relates to Yanka. They seem to know each other pretty well, but is she a former love interest of his, or... We don't know, and I don't know if we ever will, unless Hale reveals something about it down the line to Kenzie. We don't know, so... 
I did really enjoy that Ianka was somebody from Hale's past because we haven't really had somebody like him, like that for him before. We've seen, we met his family, but I can't recall like if, you know, somebody out of his past that's been on the show before. But yes, right. it, it was really ambiguous. They did share a kiss, but it could have been a very friendly kiss. Just sort of, I've known you a long time. It seems at the very least they were friendly with each other. They kind of goofed around on Bamber's estate, they said. so. But yeah, that's a good question as to whether they were lovers at some point. But it, they had a really good sense of familiarity, and I thought it was just good um, acting bit. Even in those few brief scenes they had together, you could tell they had a warmth, they had a chemistry, they had a history. Um, that could go either way. So even though Hale totally snubbed Kenzie to go say hi to Yanka, that was not cool. Hale, that made me that made yeah. me unhappy with you. Hale, uh, well, <laughs> to still- the extent that she sent me a message in all caps. <laughs> kind of jumping a little bit to Hale and Kenzie at the end. I mean, he's still a. I don't know if it's just guy or whatever, but he's just still kind of unaware until she tells him, "I've always been here," and I'm like, "Hello, Hale." Slap it upside your pork pie hat and get it together. You know, she really, really likes you, wants to be with you. And yet, um, he still doesn't tell her the truth after she begs it out of him. The truth, you weren't hurt by Ianka, were you? And he goes, oh, no, no, I'm fine. But we're like, what's going on with your ears, Hale? I don't know what you are talking about. Um, Hale (laughs) is fine. He just has an infected piercing and he just needs some peroxide. He's fine. He has earrings? Yes, he does. <laughs> well, he did, but clearly the earring got pulled out, and that's why uh-huh. his ear is bleeding. It, it got pulled out in a fight, yeah. Okay. He's fine. Okay. He's fine. In all seriousness, though, I am curious to know what the consequences of that might be, because I read somewhere online, there's a good point that Hale's powers, I think partially why we don't see them more, is they're kind of endgame. You know, Hale doesn't need to be near somebody to use them. They're pretty powerful. They can do a lot of stuff. And so I'm wondering if this might allow the writers to maybe limit his powers to a certain extent so that it's not just, oh, Hale's here. Everything's going to be fine. The stakes get a little higher in situations where he's involved. Or or I fear that maybe he might. I don't want him to die. Don't kill him. Hmm. Can we, yeah. Can we, can we? This is where my denial is river and Egypt thing will come in because yeah, I don't want anyone to let's not talk about death rumors or any no. such things. But you know, we saw in episode 401 how powerful Hale was for the first time in a long time when he just nearly kills Vex and he very easily can kill Fay or human. And so maybe that's why he chooses to use it with discretion or not, you know, to come in at just the right time. I did think it was nice to see him come in and save the day and swoop Kenzie up. That was kind of cool. But yeah, so that's a good point about his powers that, uh, and you could say this maybe about some Fae or a lot of Fae that they're almost too powerful. So, I mean, can you imagine being a being with that much power, but you still have to hide from the human race and how do you manage it? But it's kind of another tangent. So regarding Hale's powers, I can actually make a comic book reference. Uh, if you want, go for it. Why not? (laughs) Yes. Okay, so Hale's powers are actually very similar to those of Black Canary, uh, who has the canary cry, right? Is this a male or female superhero person? Female. Okay. Female. Cool. Dinah Lance. There's actually a quote from Gail Simone, uh, I believe, and it was something like, because I think the question was, well, why doesn't Black Canary use the canary cry more? And I think what Gail said was, well, using the canary cry is kind of like bringing a jackhammer to a fistfight or something like that. Because it's, you know, it's super powerful. And so, you know, if it's not absolutely necessary to use it, why would you use it? Because you can do more harm with than good. Yeah, it's like, would you you use an axe to kill a mosquito? Which is a line from a Xena episode, but, you know, it's... (laughs) Okay, good. You have to watch that episode. We're getting all the nerd references in. I'm so glad. (laughs) We have to, we have to. And Star Trek is coming up, so yes. Yeah, we're just honoring Dr. Lauren Lewis. We are. (laughs) We are evoking her spirit. So going back to Hale and Kenzie, I was kind of like, yay? Are they together? I guess so? It was a little anticlimactic. It it felt like a lot of buildup, but not a clear... Yes, we're dating now. We're happy about this type of moment. I don't know because Hale was 
had his mind on other things, clearly. His friend had just died. His ear was... He ripped his piercing out of his ear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And (laughs) so, (laughs) you know, it was sweet, but I guess I was expecting a little more something. You know, they kiss and then, you know, Kenzie says, you know, I've always been here. And then they kiss and then she puts his hat on. And I think she makes the reference of of paraphrasing, okay, now that we're together or something, or the word now is used in reference to, oh, we're together. And, um, they don't really discuss anything. They're just together. And it's it's a very sweet scene. They're just, you know, sitting there together, seemingly content. Hopefully Hale is. And it's kind of like, they don't really talk about anything. It's like what Lauren and Bo do a lot. They're, they're like, they have the passionate moment and they're saying, we need to talk, but they're not talking. And you want the discussion to hopefully come at least a little bit. You know, you can't always talk, you know, on and on in a TV show. But yeah, I can see why it seemed a little bit brushed because I wanted a little bit more discussion in there. Well, because going to back to what you said about Hale being oblivious to Kenzie, I don't think he was, because the last time we saw them together, Hale had that spell on him, and so they were making out, but Kenzie kept pausing and being like, is this weird? This is weird, right? So I think in Hale, and the last time we saw Hale, he was really anxious about talking to Kenzie. So the emotions just felt a little off to me, because I thought Hale would be more emotional about it, I guess, because he seemed really eager in last time we saw him. Well, as you said, he's got a lot on his mind and, you know, maybe he was not paying as much attention to Kenzie with this friend of his that he's got a history with in town. And, you know, he just had to know that she just died and save the woman he really, you know, loves, admires at the same time and get her out of there. So, um, I guess a lot going on with Hale. Clearly he was thrown off by the infected piercing. Yes. Well, you know, those those things are really difficult to deal with, I got to tell you. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to I, I don't want to deal with it. So let's talk a bit about Bo. We had I was a little annoyed last week as I said because we didn't get some uh, you know, mo- momentum on the larger story arc in regards to the Wanderer, and we did get some this week. Baby steps. I wish the memories we'd seen had been a bit less vague, but we're going somewhere. But, you know, we are getting this, Bo's getting this sense that she joined the dark willingly, she says. So, why? Well, when you said, uh, referenced earlier, that it, you know, Lauren could be making her own moves to go against the establishment. And to me, it could be, it was my thought that um, Bo could be planning to take down the Lark Dyke, uh, the Yikes Dykes establishment. Um <laughs> The light and the dark establishment. and Or maybe she somehow found out about the Unamens, or she might even be trying to take down the Wanderer. I mean, maybe there's the frustration of maybe she does have an overarching plan that this other bow in, on the train in this nebulous space of a month planned that she can't remember. That was my thought on that. I just want to know what it means that Bo is sending herself clues. You know what I mean? Like, well, it's it's like oh, I think someone, I don't know if I was reading uh, the Unaligned blog, and someone made an alias reference, and I'm like, it's like the episode when Sydney loses her memory and then she's lost her memory for two years and then she sends herself clues. It's oh, like that. season three. Yeah, that <laughs> trippy season. See, we're getting in all the geek references, so. <laughs> But yeah, it could be something where Bo is just sending herself clues because she's she doesn't have all the pieces of the puzzle yet. Uh, and it could just be some really crazy spy alias kind of lost girl kind of spy bang thing. I don't know what the hell I'm saying. You know what I mean. <laughs> what? <laughs> A mixing of genres. <laughs> okay, I don't know where the spy banging came from, but... Sorry, I said the word spy and I... I think, I think she just meant spy spying comes, and then the rest of it just, just came, came out. out. Sorry. I understand. Sorry. I understand. But yeah, I just, I, I want to know if she knew that she was going to join the dark or if she was being forced into joining the dark or, or what it was that prompted her to set in motion all these clues to send herself in the future. You know what I mean? Like, apparently she knew that she was going to lose her memory to s- something. It seems like, right? I mean, yeah, otherwise, yeah. why would you send yourself clues about something if you didn't know that was going to happen? You know what I mean? Yeah, she she in one of those vague memories she has, she's looking in the mirror and she seems really terrified. She goes, I can't do this. And maybe that is in reference to joining the dark. Yeah, because that's where we see the, the glowy hand print for the first time. 
But then we also have the crown with her name inscribed in it. Ugly crown. She should get a better crown, man. I know. But the inscription, the scrolling was nice. But because I was reminded of um, episode 309, the ceremony, when she goes super dark bow and she says, and I will reign as queen. And I will reign as queen. We will reign together. Does that mean she'll reign, you know, as queen with her father? You know, you see back in Trick's flashbacks at the end of season two where he's the Blood King, but is it presumably that him and Isabeau rule together? So does it have something to do with her grandmother as well? Is it a history? Is it a lineage of ruling over someone or something and not in the best of means? You know, it's not like the Blood King had the most harmonious rule. Is this what's being implied by the crown? Uh, Going back to the, the glowy hand... Mm-hmm. She said that he marked her, and here we were talking about uh, the druid, Massimo, using the rune glass to mark her. Do we think that's the same thing? So yeah, maybe the hand does mean he could snatch her back to wherever the hell. Oh, good I don't know. I'm just wondering, if, if do we think that's the same thing? Because it could be, but it might not be. I don't know. Yeah, it could be something completely different. It's just that they use the same terminology yeah. for both things, so is why I even thought about it no it's a great point it's a great throwing point. it out there but yeah i i was glad to get these little memory glimpses that that Bo got just if, if 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 nothing else i like the idea that she wasn't just you know sleeping for however long which kind of made it seem like maybe she might have been when we first we, we first see her again but uh and and indeed there was a complicated plot broiling for Bo wherever wherever she was and it's interesting to it was interesting to me that she at some point heard Ianka sing, but then when we, when Ianka tried to recall when it happened, she couldn't, which kind of suggested to me that Ianka's memory had been tampered with as well, but obviously not to the same extent as Bose. So is it possible that just people don't remember the Wanderer if they have contact with him? Chris has her finger up and she has an idea. <laughs> here's, here's something I'm, again, going to throw out there. Uh, what if it was on the train? Because remember when Dyson and Bo got off the train, they were oh, like, "Oh yeah." They said something about the train, and what what train? What train? I don't know. I don't know why I said that. That's a great point. Yeah, if if she had performed for them on the train, then she probably wouldn't, but maybe would remember other stuff. We've had we had some rumblings of this last season, where Bo was not really acting like herself. And I think we're having either a continuation or maybe last season was something else going on. But I think a continuation of maybe an, an anti-hero arc for Bo. She is definitely, there's still shades of our Bo in there, but she's definitely not acting like herself. And she's doing some darn right, unlikable things. And so this is, I think, a really big risk that the show is taking. I think it's working out okay so far. Because like I said, we get glimpses of old Bo. So there's, I think there's still hope that she will get back to her old self at some time. I think we had a really clear declaration from Bo in this episode that I didn't do this, another Bo did this, and I don't even know who she is. And I think in addition to that, we're also having some really strong storylines for other female characters. I mean, hell, even even the Morrigan, they're making her more human and sort of bringing up our other female characters to sort of make up for the fact that Bo isn't really being herself this season. What are y'all thinking about sort of Bo's story arc and maybe getting a little more unlikable this season, a little more harder to like, I guess? I hear rubblings about it, too. And last season, you know, the last few episodes and this season, I'm hearing a little bit more of that, as you say, because because I felt bad for Dyson during this episode. And at the beginning, when he's like, you're dark and she's like, "Okay, come on, let's go back in the barrel room anyway. And he's like, we can't. And. Um, at, and then at the end, I've you know we've never seen her treat Dyson that way. You know whether it's in bed or otherwise, just going, "Don't look at me, don't look at me." And I think it's her frustration with this bow that she doesn't know that was on the train that concocted this whole plan that she still doesn't have all the pieces to. Versus you know this bow that's trying to figure out why am I dark, and it's just the she doesn't know what to do. She's really frustrated and, but. Yeah, it is does make it really hard to kind of go, Bo, what are you doing? Because uh, Kenzie says to Lauren later in the episode, she says, you know, Lauren says, how's Bo? And she says, oh, she misses you. We Or, you know, we all miss you. 
So I was like, is Bo ignoring Lauren in this episode, or is Lauren avoiding Bo, or vice versa, and we're seeing how she's treating Dyson, so... Um, it's just not like her, the bow of season two, where she'd do anything to protect her friends. Instead, her vision is becoming really narrowed and really, um, you know, kind of like narrow-minded and a bit selfish of just saying, I'm going to figure this out at all costs, but at what risk to her relationships? Excuse my cat. Yeah, I... Uh, Dyson, you need to ovary up, dude, and not... Let Bo just walk all over you like that. I feel so bad for him. He has so many feelings. And Bo knows he has so many feelings. And she's using him like a battery charger. You know, she's she's just having... We've seen him both in Turn to Stone 404 and this episode. Just these really, like, angry sex scenes. Bo feeling really out of control or powerless. And then using sex to control Dyson and feel you know, somewhat normal. I think the fact that she was closing her eyes was really telling. Maybe she was thinking of Lauren. Who knows, you know? But, you know, this is this is not the bow that we love. There's something, there's stuff going on for this bow. And I think she has a legitimate reason to feel lost and out of control, etc. But I, right. I really hope that we get our old bow back by the end of the season or at least closer to old bow obviously Inklings people grow and change but i want my my idealistic bow back <laughs> i miss compassionate. her well, she's sort of lost the yeah. compassion yeah she yeah. is yeah. is the big thing for me and again i'm hoping she's avoiding lauren to not be that cold to her but still i mean i think also lauren really hurt her like she she was thinking lauren's back she loves me everything will go back to normal and it didn't and i think that was a really crushing blow to Bo, especially when she's already feeling that out of control yeah yeah and 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 again yeah i agree with you stephanie i want to see Bo kind of steered in a different direction because it is taking a big risk and i see some comments online going well Bo's becoming more unlikable. I don't want to like her. And I just want to, you know, have Lauren be happy or Dyson be happy and not have Bo be with anyone because Bo is being a jerk. And I'm like, but I'm saying, you know, don't give up, people. I believe the writing is going somewhere. I believe Bo is going to get out of this whole emotional mess. I mean, it's a fascinating journey to watch. It's fascinating to watch Anna play it. But it is so deliberately counter to what we've seen of Bo that it's, I mean, it's very clearly deliberate to mm. me. Yeah, that this this is it's a storyline that's playing out, and I mean clearly Bo is bothered by it. So because Bo wants things to go back to the way they were, and and yes, we are seeing her do things that we've never really seen her do to this extent before. You know, even when uh, she and Kenzie were dancing in was that four hundred four? Yes, it was four hundred four, and she was sort of putting the the succubus whammy on people and to get them to dance with her and all this sort of thing. And, and again, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's using people is essentially what she's doing yes. there. She's using her powers against them and, you know, not something we've seen Bo do that cavalierly before. You yes. Know? Bo is, yeah. is using a lot of people this season. That is definitely something we're seeing from her. Again, counter to the compassion that mm -hmm. we've always seen from her. Right. I'm oh, so, sorry, go ahead, Stephanie. No, I was just going to say, I, I, I agree with you. It's definitely a deliberate storyline for the writers. I'm, I'm in it for the long haul to see where they go with it. I don't think this is going to be, you know, the bow that we'd get in season five if there's a season five. I'm hoping there's a season five. You know, and I don't mind antiheroes. I really don't. I love shows like Weeds. I love shows like, like Orange is the New Black. I love female antiheroes, like Orphan Black. So I, I like shows with antiheroes. It's not that I'm against antiheroes, but I don't think that Bo becoming an antihero, I don't think will work for the show because the way that she's positioned in the Fae world as the unaligned succubus, and she clearly still wants to be the unaligned succubus, even though she's currently aligned. Yeah, you can't sustain that antihero bent for, I would say, more than a season, because it is a big risk, and you need an endgame to it. You need to show a purpose to it. Bo has to find some of her answers, at least, hopefully, by the end of the season. The biggest thing, too, is, you know, Bo, as introduced, isn't an anti-hero, you know what I mean? Bo's sort of your quintessential noble person, essentially. I mean, she's she's trying really hard to be 
a good person. A good so. person. She has a very strong code of ethics, and she doesn't have that strong code of ethics the way that we've seen her had in previous seasons. Which is why this season, or why this is so upsetting. Like I said, there's there's still hints of of the old bow in there, but you know, clearly something's off with her. Yeah, and we see it definitely come out more in this episode. Yeah. So moving on to probably Annie's favorite part of the story, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Lauren and the Morrigan, which was an unexpected pair, but oh my gosh, what a brilliant pair. It's like Zoe Palmer has chemistry with everybody. It's I have yet to see a combination with her that I didn't think was fantastic and interesting and oh my goodness. Same with Ksenia Solo. You know, I think they're both really versatile actors. I mean, we had dancing Lauren, we had geeky Lauren, we had drunk Lauren, so many fantastic Laurens in this episode. <laughs> I just, I think it was the chemistry of both Zoe and uh, Emmanuel, because they just, you know, to see them in a scene together like this, it was just incredible, because there is so much there under every line, under every expression, because... The characters, you know, are they attracted to each other because they both are intellectually, you know, really smart women. They didn't get what they were by being unaware of the situation they're in. You know, you don't know if the lines are, they have this quality of sensuality under them. Are they attracted to each other? And then the kiss at the end, I was like, oh my God, again, waking up my neighbors. So it, it was poor just, neighbors. And then, you know, at the end, when it re- it's revealed what Lauren did, and you're just like, holy shit, what, what is Lauren's endgame? What is the Morgan's endgame? Why does, you know, I just totally believe Lauren when she's smiling, that oh-so-sly smile at the Morgan, she says, I don't trust you. And the Morgan says, I would not respect you if you did. And I'm like, wow, that is so... That's that. That's like their relationship. It's so perfect in a way, and you would never would have thought of it in a million years how good these two actresses would be in the scene together. And Emily Andrus did say in her TV Guide Canada interview that the kiss was not planned, but when they saw how well those two worked together, they put it in there. And I'm like, yeah, thank you. So you, now we have the ship name Leveny, apparently. And I saw on Twitter that you approved of Leveny. So here is my question to you, Annie. Why Leveny, but not what Stephanie and I have now dubbed hot pantsless? Because I don't know. Is it because hot pantsless got further? Partially. (laughs) But because Lauren just kind of knew what was up at the end. She wasn't duped. She was the one who, but not to say that the Morgan isn't, doesn't have her own plan that hasn't been revealed with Lauren. Yeah, I, honestly, as a Documents fan, it's like, I love Documents forever. But I'm like, with Lemony, it was so funny. I was like, I really, really like this. I really shouldn't, but I really do. But if the Morgan lays a finger on her, then it's Lemony's off forever. So, Oh, there's where Annie draws the line. Okay, so uh-uh. kissing is okay, but no sexy times. I'm a hypocrite, I know. So Lauren and the Morgan. I love, love, love Emmanuel Vosier as the Morrigan. I always have. I love what she does with the dialogue that she's given. I love how she just like makes a meal out of every line. But I loved getting to see a softer, more human, more layered side of her in this in this episode. I thought she did a brilliant job with with the with this part. And I thought she and again, she and Zoe Palmer worked really, really well together. And this little subplot actually reminded me a lot of the training session in Food for Thought between Bo and Lauren, where they go out not on a date, you know, so Bo can practice her powers in real life. Conversation on a couch. Yes. And kind of Lauren being kind of like the pursuer and kind of sexy and seductive. And as is her way. As is her way. It's been a while since we've seen Lauren sort of pursue somebody like this. And I kind of felt like she was almost the the real bow of this episode, you know, kind of like using her charms to get close to somebody. And clearly she has some ulterior motives. Uh, so I actually, I really, really enjoyed this subplot. And I thought the conversations they had pointing out that humans have been just as terrible to each other as Lauren presumes Dark Fae would be. You know, I thought there was some really good conversation between the two of them. And earlier, you and I were talking about how it's sort of uh, reminiscent of the conversation that Lauren was having with Taft at the end of the third season, too. 
Yes. The ethics. Yeah. Which makes me wonder, combined with the fact that back in, in, four, in 404, Turn to Stone, Bo brings up the, well, you know, Lauren is smart. Maybe she wasn't tricked by Taft. Maybe she wanted something from him. I'm wondering if they might not revisit that piece of the storyline last season as well, now that it seems like Lauren has like bigger plans going on. I don't know. I'm curious if they might, might not bring up Taft as well as whatever's going on with her in the Morrigan. Yeah, the way things are going this season, I'm I'm sort of not ruling anything out. It's kind of a crazy I'm, season. I kind of like it. Yeah. I love it. It's great. I, I love this unpredictable side of Lauren. And I did love that the ethics conversation was brought up again. And that Ebony lets Lauren have it. She's like, okay, if it's important to you, that's fine. I'll, I'll respect it. Both those characters are so, uh, what's the word, charismatic in their own way. And like you said, yeah, it was different to see sexy side of Lauren kind of going on with the looks, and I'm like, you're not supposed to be doing this, but oh god, you're good at it. So- <laughs> <laughs> but it makes me wonder, like, how much was the Morgan, is she really attracted to Lauren, or is she just playing along, or it's, there's so much, uh but isn't that what's great about it? Again, that whole, like, you kind of don't know which way this is going to go. Yeah. Is it like, is it Lauren taking that tact with her because she saw an opportunity? Was the Morgan trying kind of taking the same tact as well? Yeah, I, I'm not clear who, what their motives are. You know, I don't trust the Morgan and neither does Lauren. So, I mean, Lauren clearly had plans with the uh, rubber lip there. Well, here's the thing. Lauren didn't know that the Morgan was coming over. Because she's like, I was not expecting, you know, the Dark Fae leader to come into my apartment. And she's like, well, beer and pizza. But it's like, did she just like run into the bathroom and decide, oh, I'm going to put on the rubber lip thing? Because now here's a chance to get the Morgan's DNA. And where she could have just taken a beer bottle of Dark Belch. You know, she could have just gotten a DNA sample out of that. But she just decides, well, this is how I'm going to get my DNA. Well, it's true. She could have just used a beer bottle, but that whole fake lip thing looks so much better on screen. <laughs> oh, yes, it does. <laughs> and it looks far more diabolical and plotty than, than just... I was going to say science hey, but okay. I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to take out the recycling today, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so Chris and I, not Annie, but Chris and I are on, you know, episode two of Crystal Watch, Where's Crystal? I'm I'm worried about Crystal. I want to see Crystal again, please. I don't think we've seen the last of Crystal, but obviously we're missing a lot of what happened between 404 and 405. And I'm just yeah. really curious what all is going on with her, if she's still in You're the picture. You're not the only one. Here's a thought. Lauren had all those huge moving boxes in her apartment. Maybe Crystal's in one of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope not. I loved how all the boxes were clearly labeled with printed out labels and that and they, they were, were all marked, marked fragile. fragile. <laughs> I noticed that. Oh, dear. You, you notice that what are the huge, huge boxes, though? It's marked clothing fragile. <laughs> like, maybe, maybe crystals in there. Did you see it's the big amount enough. of bubble wrap and packing material that woman had? My God. It's like everything is fragile. That's, that's really funny, though. I like that, that her clothing was marked was Mark Fragile. That's probably a, a little joke from the production design. Thank you, production design. <laughs> well, because, I mean, you, you know, Zoe was talking about how she imagines that Lauren just has, like, a cabinet full of soap. <laughs> Mark Fragile, then, of course. She's, she's, a, she's like a little, she's a little too type A. She's a little too concerned right. about, yeah. Which, which made me laugh in 403, then, when we see that she has rearranged the the bottles of things the, the condiments and-, and stuff yeah yeah oh yeah it's like, yeah because when i saw that that's what i thought of was that comment that i think she just has a cabinet full of soap <laughs> it's like hmm maybe so we've talked about about kenzie and hale but i wanted to talk a little bit about kenzie and lauren you you alluded to their sort of brief scene together earlier in the episode annie and again we talked a little bit last week about how Everybody's reactions to Bo becoming dark seem to be off, at, at which point L- Chris said, is something up with Lauren? And now, Chris, you're saying, ha! <laughs> I was right! <laughs> I am gloating as I do, yes. 
But and so, you know, last episode, Kenzie seemed pretty cool with the fact that that Bo was dark. You know, do I need a new wardrobe? Let's go to the party. But Kenzie is clearly not okay with Lauren getting buddy buddy with the Morrigan. Maybe she's just getting annoyed on Bo's behalf because she knows Bo is upset. But it seems that's what a, I thought. Yeah, it, I don't know. It just seems a little in in in, in conquer. I'm not going to say that word correctly. So I'm not incongruous. Con- thank you. In, incongruous to me. What do you think, Chris? Here's my take on it. Kenzie walked in when Lauren was trying her flirty thing with the Morrigan a little bit. Right. So I think I think a lot of it is maybe stemming from that, the sort of best friend protectiveness. It's like, you belong with my best friend. You leave her alone. Right. Like what Annie would say. Well, she walked <laughs> in and I was like, God, Kenzie's so mad at Lauren. It's probably because Lauren has been you know, not been with Bo. And it's like, Bo's been so crushed. And, you know, she's like, with the real Lauren, please come forth. You know, what are you doing with the dark and fraternizing with this person that we fought so hard against? And it's such like a, you know, snake in the grass. So, and then Kenzie is also stuck up for Lauren a lot when Lauren was gone, telling Bo that, reminding her that Lauren's one of the good ones. So it's kind of betrayal to both of them that Lauren went to the dark and chose the dark side. Kinsey is clearly not pleased with Lauren getting friendly with the Morrigan, but they do have a really sweet moment, I thought, where where Kinsey says, you know, Bo misses you, we all do. Which makes me just go, Team Human, please? Please? Yes, really. Team Human. I, I wanted to bring up, because because Jay, from the Rosolian Isles po- podcast, she sent in an email with a theory about, about Kinsey and... And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna extend it to Lauren as well because they are both human. And she points out the fact that the Unamens are are scary, Fae, you know, rulemakers followers that no Fae can defeat because they turn Fae's powers back on themselves. So could Kenzie and potentially Lauren have a role in maybe you know, getting rid of the Unimen Unimens because they are human, they have no powers that the Unamens can turn back on themselves. I kind of thought that was an interesting theory. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense now that you mentioned it. As you started to say that, I sort of went, oh, I see where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, that does make sense. They've they've done that before. We've seen it on the show a few times where they basically – that the lack of being Fae, you know, that they always sort of put down ends up being what saves everybody. So yeah. that's what happened in Original Skin, for example. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so there you go. Yeah. I like it. So I like that theory. So thank you for sending that in, Jay. They have sent us very nice compliments. So y'all are very sweet. Thank you so much. I also thought it was sweet. I mean, I'm I'm jumping a little bit, but I liked that when Kenzie and Kenzie went back to the doll and was and Bo asked about Lauren. I like that they both kind of lied to each other to spare each other's feelings. Like, oh, Lauren's you know mm-hmm. fine and alone. Like, <clears throat> and then Bo didn't tell. <laughs> didn't tell Kenzie about Hale giving giving Ayanka a smooch. So I thought that was a really sweet Kenzie and, and Bo moment. Just earlier when Kenzie and Bo were at the bar at the beginning of the episode, and Kenzie is reading her incomprehensible letter from Tamsin, which I thought was adorable. And Bo is going off about how, you know, she just can't stand being dark and how she's been duped and what is she going to do? And... Kenzie's going off about Tamsin's letter and how they're having two totally separate conversations and not listening to each other, which happens with all friends, it seems. Just some some kind of stray thoughts I had about the about the episode. Apparently, Bo still didn't call Dyson and tell her <laughs> that she Sorry, found Lauren. I couldn't help but giggle. <laughs> so okay, I did think this. Lauren, it's dark. <laughs> I did think this through a little bit. I was like, okay, maybe Bo didn't call him in the last episode because the way he was looking for Lauren was that he wolfed out and, you know, went sniffing around all over the place. Point. You know, he didn't have his cell phone. Okay. But she didn't even, like, call and leave him a message when he got back and be like, hey, I found Lauren. She's dark. So am I. You know? <laughs> well, but maybe that's why she didn't do to it. leave on a cell phone. By the way, I'm dark. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can't, well, we can't do more, it anymore. I guess I, he, she could have at least called and said, hey, I found Lauren. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, but <laughs> right. <laughs> at least that part. It would have been, would have been kind. Nope. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was probably kind of nervous to tell her that. And she could have saved him that, you know? <laughs> poor, again, poor Dyson in this episode. Poor Dyson. He was kind <laughs> of, you know, just getting stepped on all over the place. 
I, another kind of stray thought I had was at the end where, you know, clearly I, I, I liked that uh, Christine Horn, who's playing the lead Unamens person, put on Twitter that, you know, if, if the Unamens were not completely neutral, they would totally be Team Lauren. And I thought, well, of course, because they were clearly unhappy about the Daibo sex going on at the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting going, yes! <laughs> my, my touchdown stance. <laughs> I had a question, though, because when they appear, the, the Unamens are saying, the Codex has been broken, and Bo says, your rules don't apply to me. And I'm thinking, but don't they? Because Bo's a lion That's now. That's what I was wondering, too. Yeah. But, like, the Unamens agree. They say, no, not you, him. But why not? Why not, Bo? Is it because... Well, no, maybe they just maybe they just meant that, you know, no, we're not here for you. We're here for Dyson. But why wouldn't they be there for yeah, Bo? Why wouldn't they punish Bo? Because Bo technically is breaking the rule, rules too. So <sighs> maybe they have plans for. Well, they've got a mask for her and everything, so they've got greater plans on how to bring her down. I don't know. Are either of you familiar with the term fan wank? <laughs> yes. No, but it sounds awesome. Because <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> I've used okay. This used to be a term I saw all over the place in fandom, like in the early, in the two thousands, but it seems like it's out of style in this decade. So, fan wank, which is F A N W A N K, kind of you know, like masturbating <laughs> wank, like wanker. It is a word used used to. It can be either a verb or a noun. And it, essentially, it is a overly complicated explanation that fans come up with to cover up plot holes. Ah, uh, yes. Well, I think that's sort of been replaced by fanon, hasn't it? Has it? Fanon is such an unoriginal. Huh, that just uh, sounds like so much. I like fan wank better, so I'm going to say fan wank. I mean, you guys have heard fanon, right? No. Yeah, I've heard fanon, but I don't remember that really? as the definition. It's been a while. So I, I haven't been up on all my fanology terms lately, so. But there's also headcanon. Oh, yeah, I know that. So I'm going to say fan wank, and I just want people listening to know that I don't mean masturbating to the sex scenes on Lost Girl. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> what? <laughs> sure it's not, Stephanie. So here is my fan wank of why they wouldn't come for Bo, but would come for Dyson. Maybe the reason the light and the dark don't fraternize is because the light have a rule, but not the dark. Well, that makes sense with the dark being more... Yeah, so like Dyson broke the light's rules, and so that's why they came for him, but... You know, the dark don't really care, but the reason that they don't fraternize is that the light aren't supposed to. That's my fan wank about that. Otherwise, I'm confused. That's not overly fan wanky. That's actually really simple and quite an elegant explana explanation. So thank you. <laughs> me, I'm just wanky. Oh my god. So something else that kind of struck me was the fact that Bo had some sort of clue about Ianka tucked into her knife. And I was thinking, how did she have her knife before? I mean, I guess when she was snatched, she had on her quick draw rig because she was just coming back from Taft's and she doesn't tend to go into battle without her knife. But how did then she, did she get the knife off the train? I don't know. Did did you did that seem odd to you at all? Now that you mention it, yes, because I don't remember it with her her flowy nighty thing. I mean, I guess it's possible it was under it, like strapped to her leg or something. Right. But would the if, if Bo was like prisoner of the Wanderer, would she just be wandering around with a knife strapped to her leg? Would he be okay with that? You wouldn't think so, but really, who can tell anymore? <laughs> but you're right. I mean, she didn't have the rest of her clothes or, or anything with her that we saw. And she didn't seem to have anything else with her when she jumped off the train, so. But yeah, that just sort of, sort of struck me funny. I, I was a little, a little confused by that. I'll go with yeah. it, though. Well, sure. But yeah, now it's going to bother me. Thanks a lot, Stephanie. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Completely random, but I love the, whatever location they used for the uh, end when, uh, when uh, Ianka died and Bo was holding her, someone needs to put together a more comprehensive list of all the exterior locations of Lost Girl <laughs> that are publicly accessible in Toronto and the surrounding areas, and then we can all just take a tour. Speaking of Bo cradling Ianka, like, how emotional do I get every time we see that? Because we, I mean, there was the duppy and, right? Wasn't she sort of... Yeah. yeah. That, oh, that was something I actually. Oh, I get all emotional. I meant I meant to mention back up at the top is that Yanka's storyline reminded me a lot of the Duppy storyline, Lisa the Duppy storyline in 
adventures in Fabie sitting last season. Yeah, again, someone who is manipulated and to kill and yeah. And and you know, the only way to be free was to die. And and again, the bow in her compassion, which is probably why it makes me all emotional. Anyway. See, that bow's still there, of course. So don't worry, bow fans. She'll be back. I think she'll be back with a mixture of of that compassion, but just I think she'll be forever changed through what she's going through. So she'll be a bit more cynical and harder and yet still ha- retain her compassion at the same time. You know, it's all about the journey. It'll I be really so. fascinating to see where it goes. Otherwise, what's yeah. the point? <laughs> Otherwise, what's the point? Fan wanking and document sex. That's the point. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Please don't put those oh, two together. It'll confuse people. <laughs> <laughs> So we had a really big week last week since we released our interview with Emily Andrus. Thank you again to her for chatting with us. I think it's pretty obvious we had a really great time talking with her. She's a really delightful person. And thank you for all of the kind words people sent us about the interview. We are so glad people have enjoyed it as much as we did. And I also wanted to say thank you to everyone who submitted entries to win the Season 3 DVD set. We have picked a winner, Princess from New York City. So congratulations to her. We will be using the fan vids and the fanfics that people submitted in the contest for an episode in the future. So we really appreciate your sending those in and participating. We would love to hear your feedback about... Of all the gin joints, did you like it? Did you not like it? What are you thinking about Bo's sort of anti-hero arc? Anything you want to tell us and share with us, we would love to hear. And you can do that in a variety of ways. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode. It will be over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 32. You can send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com. Or you can call and leave a voicemail on our listener voicemail line at 972 514-7223. Thank you so much for joining us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. And I'm not a wanker. I'm Annie. And I am once again very sorry, and my name is Chris. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.